to do better. So therefore, worship is what I do. I present my body as a living sacrifice. On that note, we are dealing with the title. You may see it in your bulletin, the handout for you to take some notes. Uh, for the sermon, is about having empty worship. Empty as in equated to as in vain. As in nothingness. As in having no value. As, in, as it is worth naught. We talked about all this past week in Central District Association. The theme of solidarity with the Savior through worship. And in that I want to highlight many of us think we know what worship is. But oftentimes we do what worship is not. So I want to deal with the subject matter this morning of empty worship. Reading from Jeremiah, second chapter, I'm going to highlight these two verses, verses 12 and 13. Reading from the New International Version. You can stand in honor of reading of God's word. Reads this way. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Praise God for us where you may be seated. Let us turn for a word of prayer. Father, I ask, Lord, all of you and none of me to be your vessel, to be preaching your word with power and purpose to us, your people. Speak now, Lord, for your servants are listening is our prayer. Amen. If you look at the entirety of this second chapter, this declaration coming from God to a people that he loved but have forsaken him. If you look at the beginning, he says it started out so good. He's pointing out how at one time you were in love with me. You loved my appearing. You loved how I provided for you. But after the honeymoon, after the newness wore off, y'all left me for other things. Look at how he says, I, I remember the devotion of you, you how, you, how a bride you love me. You followed me through the wilderness. You followed me. You, you were with me. You did not leave me. But now... You left me, you forsaken me. You see the two evils? You forsaken me. You abandoned me. How is it that you rather be with those other gods that have ears that cannot hear, eyes that cannot see, mouths that cannot speak? You want to be with them. You, not a God, creating God. Can I say that again? 
They are not gods, but they're creating gods to worship that are not gods, and they're not doing anything from them. They left living water for some dead water. Um, and, and abandoning God and forsaking him, look, look at the charge he gives in verse 5. What fault did your ancestors find in me? That they strayed so far from me, they followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Pointing out that I have been faithful, I did all this for them. What fault did they find? Basically, it's pointing out to them that if you look at the record, you can find out that those who follow me in the wilderness found no fault in me. So how can you find fault in me? Those who were with me in the wilderness had, had food day and night, had covering day and night, did not find any fault with me. How can you find fault with me? Can I bring it up to how we know it today? That he says, basically, I was the same then as I am today. I, 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 I am the same God. I am the beginning and the ending. I am the everlasting God. I do not change. So if I did it then, I can show enough uh, do it again. Uh, the song says that he will never lose his power. God say, as much power as I had then, I still have it right now, but you have left me. You have forsaken me. You have been drawn off to some other things. Can I help somebody out about why we might forsake God? Because one reason why we forsake God, because we think we got it together. We don't trust God to provide. We trust ourselves for provision. Therefore, we hewn out, we make, we form and shape our own idols and leave our first love. Hello, somebody. Then in the same revelation, they said, come back to your first love. Remember how it used to be. It's echoing the same statement here. What went wrong that you changed in this relationship? God's saying, I've been faithful to you, but you've been unfaithful to me. God said, can you point anything that I have done wrong? Of course, they know they cannot bring any charges to God, but God brings charges to them. And when God brings charges to them, he says the heavens are appalled. They are ashamed. They are shooken from the, the, from the apostasy, from the adultery, from the sin that you're doing. How much more should our hearts be gripped when we turn away from God? When we replace God with greed. We replace God with selfish, fleshly gratification. When we replace, when we replace truth with lies. We replace encouragement with backstabbing and gossiping. We are doing things that are not of God. We left him. We said, Lord, I know what's right, but I'm going to do what's wrong. When we forsake God, it's, it's forsaking what provides life, and we go after that has nothing to give. You see it there in the text. He says, you left the living water. You left the fresh spring that I was given unto you. Jesus said it to the woman at the well. Can you have some of this drink? She says, you got, you said, she says, uh, I'll give you some. He points out to them, but if you would have asked me, I'd have gave you living water that you would not have thirst again. She looked at him and said, you have no ladder. You have no cup. How can you get that? God says it there. Jesus says it here. I am. The living water. Pointing out that I am your sustainer. I am your supplier. I have everything 
that you need. Can we see it here? How when God is letting us know I can provide for you everything you're looking for out there, can't give it to you, but what I can give to you, the world can't give to you, but instead you want what the world has to offer? Can you not hear the pain in God's heart? Looking at his children, his children, his people, who he led into the promised land and shared with them, but they decided, nope, 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 God, we're going to forget the first commandment. I, think about it for The first one. The, the, the first one. Y'all catch that? The first one. They, they, they didn't go down, say, you know what, we're going to keep the first two, but maybe we'll leave around you know, three and four. But they couldn't get down with the first one, have no other God. Because I'm a jealous God. But yet they forsake him and go to other gods. But they can't even learn from the surrounding countries. The surrounding countries never forget, forsake their gods. They do gods and gods. So we still got this guy, but we're going to try this one out with this one. All right, we got a God of fertility, we got a, a God for water, we got a God for the light. We, we got all these things, but we still got our other God. We see it with Nebuchadnezzar. He says, bring out all the gods. We see the other guy, when he brought out all the materials that represents the gods, and God started writing on the wall. Let him know, see, you messing with the wrong one. When we see here that God is pointing out, I am the only one, but we get caught up, getting consumed by the world, that we start worshiping, placing other things in the center of our lives more than we place God. Jesus made it clear, he says this, that you are not worthy to be my disciples unless you love me more than everybody else. And another translation, he said it this way, that you are not my disciple unless you hate. In comparison, your mother, your father, your brother, your sisters, your wife, even your own life, you're not worthy to become my disciple. How much more so we have to make this sacrifice and, Lord, I cannot abandon you and live for myself, but, I, Lord, I have to live. For you. Look at this charge of how God is looking at them. And they have exchanged their loyalty to God for something that is empty. The living water represents fresh spring, fresh water. In the times of this time, they're living in the wilderness when you did not have a spring, you didn't have a water. The way you got water was you dug out cisterns or you dug out wells to capture Water that came from the moisture or came from the rain that they would run off and they would maybe put cups and stuff on rooftops to get the, to funnel down as a tunnel into a cistern, into a place. Because you know they're in the wilderness. They need water. So they would get these water. If you need some help, you can look in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was thrown into somebody's cistern, but he said he sank in the mud. So and again, these cisterns were left open that all kind of stuff can get up in them. Anybody ever left a cup of water out outside? Don't you not see sometimes you come back, something floating in it? So they got cisterns out there, not fresh water, stagnant water. Stagnant water means that's where stuff can grow. Mold, mildew, all kind of pesticides, all kind of things, disgusting things can grow. And he's saying, you, you abandoned me, living water, for dead water. And on top of that, the water that's been collected in it is cracked. That means it's not holding. You're going there thirsty. You come back thirsty. But yet Jesus says, seek ye, if you seek after me, what? Those who hunger, those who thirst, they shall be satisfied. But yet what the world has to offer to us is, 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 a, great, is a great sale, but it never fulfills. 
Think about how many of those commercials try to sell us on something great, but they say, just in case. You don't get the desired results, we'll give you your money back. Little side note, the reason why they do that, because very rarely do people ever send it back to get their money back. So they just hustle you. They, they, they will give you the money back. If you took the time again to pay for the shipping and handling, to send it back and call and they'll send your money back. But it's letting you know that, hey, 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 we got something. We're selling out to you. You want to look good in 90 days, 60 days, 30 days, whatever it may be. We're going to get this guarantee. If it don't happen, we give you your money back. The world is always giving us, selling us something, saying you're going to be better. But God is letting you know, I don't have to give you no money back. Because what I got is real. You don't want to give it back. You don't want to give back what's genuine, what's real. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. But those who have, who have forsaken him, think about it. If we look back and how good he has been to us, why would we ever leave him? But yet they left him to make broken cisterns, cisterns that were unable to contain. The first sin he pointed out to them that they have abandoned him. The first law he gives them to have no other gods. Besides, I'm a jealous God. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. It goes on to further. Like the first few laws are basically make them to understand that you need to honor me. And they couldn't even get that together. Thinking about how many people's in relationships are broken because they can't honor those in their relationships. We have friendships broke because you steal from, you cheated from, you lied on me. Therefore, it has broken the record because the covenant has been broken. God made a covenant with Israel and they broke it because they cheated on God with other gods. And, and, and look at the audacity. They did it in his own temple. One of the kings, if you look at the story, he built an idol god in a court. That's like me coming to your house and setting a tent in your house saying, it's my house. You're going to look at me like, you out of your, your mind. I'm about to call the police on you. But yet they destroyed and did what they want. You look at another uh, a prophet, I believe it's in Ezekiel, it says God is walking through and says, look at the apostasy, the idolatry they're doing in my temple, making, making profane sacrifices. And, and, and what, what, what the other aspect that I look at, that when I see that, I see then God's grace and mercy that he can still put up with our mess. Because he loves them so much, he's trying to bring them to a point of repentance to see that this way is not the right way. You see the results are not going in your favor. You keep on going to a well, thinking you're going to get water, but you have nothing to provide for you. Because they don't contain life. They are broken. Look, look in verses 6 through 8. It says, then did not God ask, where is the Lord who brought us out of Egypt? And led us through the barren wilderness, through the land of desert and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I bought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce. But you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Look at verse 9. Therefore I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord. I will bring charges against your children's children. 
He will contend. He will charge not just them, but also their children. Why is that? Because God says, I am merciful and full of love, but also I will judge from generation to generation. He's pointing out to us that I'm giving you my grace, but also if you want my wrath, I can give you my wrath. And so we need to grab on to just as God is a loving God, he's also a wrathful God. But yet I want us to don't, don't forget that he's a just God. He reigns on the just and the unjust alike. So that's why Psalm 1 tells us, blessed is a man who walks, who, I mean, so blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or sits in the scorn of the mind, or stand in the, in the, in the counseliness of wickedness. But he does, his delight is on the words of the word of the Lord. He meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted by the water whose fruit brings forth fruit in do Caesar, but not so the wicked. They can't stand and understand. So when we are like and we are blessed, but the wicked will suffer his wrath. So it's better to be obedient to worship. And what does it mean to worship? And he's pointing out to him to worship him is to keep him first. To keep God first is to know him and put him in the proper position. To worship him is to love him. And to love him is to know him. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you do not know who the Lord is, how do you know how to worship him? If you do not know that he is holy, then you don't know what holy is. If you don't know who's right and what is right, then you don't know what right is. We cannot day after day go through a practice of ritualistic worship and God is not pleased because they're going through the process. They're showing up at the temple. They're making sacrifice, but God says your heart's not in it. If you really love me, you would not be doing these profane things. Because some of us have seen people that come in church, can quote scripture, teach the word, preach the word, but they go out, they're not living the word. Why have you abandoned what you know is true? When has God let us down? We, see, we find it and, and know it that, as David said, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen a righteous person know his seed begging for bread. Why? Because God has made a covenant with his seed. And so we too, realizing that God is able to keep his covenant, are we able to keep our end of the bargain? And what I like about it that God knows we're not able to keep the end of the bargain. We was talking about it in, in our Sunday school class. When you look at Romans 3, it says, and verse, starting at verse 20, it says, But God showed us a way. Meaning this, that I told you to be holy, be holy as I am holy, but you're incapable of being holy. But I want you to be holy, so I declare you to be holy. But only if you confess and profess and believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And when we see that Jesus is the Son of God, then what? When we know the Son, we know the Father. And when we know the Son, then we know mercy, we know grace, we know forgiveness, we know gentleness, we know kindness, we know suffering. And when we know that, then we know the Father. And when we know the Father, then we know this, that we are heirs with the Son. And therefore, if we share in His suffering, we also share in His glory. And if we share in His glory, catch this, we know we have nothing to be ashamed of His appearing, that we'll be changed in the twinkling of an eye, that we'll be made like Him. But if we are not in love with Jesus and serving him with all our heart, with all our minds, with all our strength, we are drinking from empty cups, going to an empty well, trying to find life where there is no life. So tell your neighbor, be filled with God. We need to be filled with God. He's saying that I am the living water. I am. Check it out. He says, as an example to them, who was it that brought you through the wilderness? 
You know, in the wilderness, they needed some water. Did not God provide water for them? He brought water out of the rock. When they had no water, he brought water out of the rock. Water was bitter. He made it sweet. He did everything to provide for them. They didn't have food. He gave them food. And so he's saying that if I could provide for the children of Israel who knew nothing, owned nothing, and I took them out of slavery and bondage, took them through the wilderness, or as some strangers said, the valleys or shadows of death, if I can bring them through that into a promised land, and yet after all that you still forsake me, you still leave me for other gods. God says I am a jealous God. You cannot have a God and another lowercase g God. The Lord God is one and worship him alone. And so if he is one and he is God, then I must be his servant. If I'm his servant, then I must do what my master tells me to do. You see how simple it is? But we make it difficult because we want to do what makes us feel good. Help your neighbor, I tell you, your emotions is not your gauge. Because we allow our emotions to dictate what we ought to do. I don't feel like it, so I won't do it. So because you don't feel like it don't mean what you're about to do is right. Because there's sometimes I feel like doing some other things that I sure enough know is not right. And so if I say I'm worshiping him, I cannot say only because I feel like. Even when I don't feel like, I got to make my way to worship the Lord. Because my, my worship is a choice more than is my emotion. But I cast this out. But sometimes when I don't feel like it and I choose to, my emotions change. Come here, David. David was told because of his sin, based on his feelings, brought death into his household. He said, Lord, I know you're merciful, so let me pray and fast overnight and see if God might let it go. But God told him, boy, going to die. So enough, the boy died. He sees the boys die. He washes himself and he goes to worship. His servants were scared because they knew what has happened, but he realized that it's God. And so I will worship him. Why? Because I choose to. Yes, was he not grieving over his son? Yes, he was. Was he not longing for his son? Yes, he was. But he knew that God is worthy to be praised. In the midst of our struggles, our turmoils, our passions, the world wants us to forsake God and curse him. Come here, Job. Curse God and die. No, 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 no. God, watch over my wife, Lord. But I love him. I can't forsake him. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Others will have us blame God and be mad and angry at God. I would understand it's okay to be angry, but yet sin not. Because when we get angry, we start realizing that we might find out we, we have no right to be angry. And then we start contemplating, realize, no, God, you have been good. Come here, Elijah. Elijah wanted to die. He angry at God, making him a prophet. God was angry at him. He gave him some food so he could run on 40 days. Our God sees our emotional state, but yet he wants us to know that your emotional state is not a testament of how good I am. 
No matter our pain, no matter our suffering. Do you understand who's writing this letter and who's proclaiming it? It's Jeremiah. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. And he did not weep because he was mad upset. He wept because he saw his heart broke with God's heart because he saw the sin, the idolatry before him. And he was desperate to share and cast his castes. Even those who he was preaching to, they want to kill him. They tried to starve him. They also wanted to put one put it, person put it this way. I can't remember who quoted it, but that's not me, so it's just a good quote. I just want y'all to catch it's not mine. He said it is that he was between two fires. Fires of them, of their persecution, or the fire of prison word. He, he chose the hotter fire. He says, like fire. Shut up in his bones. And when I don't want to preach, I got to. He realized that though they are against me, but they're not greater than my God. So I will surrender even when I don't feel like it. So we had to make that choice that, Lord, I cannot forsake, I cannot go for empty cups. Because, Lord, even when I don't feel like it, I got to give it all to you. Even when it's hard on me, I got to turn it over to you. Even when people turn against me, Lord, I got to turn it all to you. Because this world is going to pass away. But our God, he's going to stay the same. Our God is still the everlasting God. So, therefore, when we have forsaken him, God is calling us to repentance. Looking at verse 28 and 29 of Jeremiah, the second chapter, I like how God is showing out to them. He says, where are then the lowercase g gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you when you are in trouble. For you, Judah, have as many gods as you have towns. Lord, have mercy. Why do you bring charges against me? You You have all rebelled. Against me, declares the Lord. You see how we can lay charges against God, but God will always trump our charges. So, okay, you so bad. Go to all those other gods. You got more gods than you have cities. And can't one of them save you? Can't one of them save you? And, and, and as they look at this, 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 the futility of their argument, they realize that not one can rescue them. And when I look at at all what the world has to offer, I realize the world cannot save me. No matter how many gods might be in the city of Peoria, there's only one supreme living God that can change anything. And when I look at this charge here, it reminds me of Jesus on the cross. The Pharisees and Sadducees, everybody will criticize them saying, aren't you God? Then save yourself. Look what God says to them. <laughs> Won't you go to your lowercase g gods and see if they can save you. Those who turn away from God do not understand the totality and the power of his salvation. But look in Psalm 34, 18. So the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. What is this pointing out to us? That if we have forsaken God, and we have hewned, made, and formed for us idol gods. Tell your neighbor, you can still repent. You can say, Lord, I messed up. I've made wrong decisions. I have rebelled against you. 
I went left when you said right. I, I made a U-turn when you told me to go straight. I, I've, I've forsaken you. I've committed adultery. I've lied. I've cheated. I've murdered. I've stolen. I've done things that are against your will. But Lord, I'm grateful that you have mercy. How, how do I know he has mercy? He's still talking to us. Have you met somebody that was so mad at you they said, don't talk to me? They don't answer your phone call. They block your text messages. They remove you from their, their accounts. They wipe you from their phone. They act like you never exist. But I'm so glad God does not wipe us out. But he wipes out our sins. He can blot out our transgressions. He can remove the sins as far as the east is far from the west. That you know east and west never meet unless you fold a map. That's the only time they meet, but you find out they're not in the same position because that's just a piece of paper. You can go west and never end up being east. God will separate our sins and remember them no more. But yet he remembers his children. And when he remembers us, it makes us remember that how we can be just like that, cross, that thief on the cross. And we can, we can realize that, Lord, it's not too late long as you're still on the throne. <laughs> Is he still on the throne? then it's not too late to get it right. Because he is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. And yes, we have charges against us. And yes, we are found guilty. But yet we have a lawyer, a lawyer who's never lost a case for his client. A lawyer that can boldly go before the judge and let everybody know, yes, they're guilty, but I can get them off the penalty. The penalty is death. And they can lay out evidence after evidence. Do you remember on such and such day they did such and such? We have all the evidence. We have eyewitnesses. We have, we have the results of it all. We have, we have it all right here. But the lawyer will get up and say, but they're with me. And if we are with him, the judge looks at the son and says, I declare them righteous. He doesn't say we're not guilty because we are guilty. He does not say we're not guilty because we are guilty. But he says, I declare you righteous, which means I make you right. Nothing you have done, but all the work I have done way back on Calvary. And so if we think about the cross, bring all your troubles to the cross. And you'll see how small they really are. Because if you're still breathing, he died. So if you're still breathing, if you have not suffered unto death, then you got a chance to get it right. I tell you, if you got a chance to get it right. You got a chance to fix that relationship. You got a chance to fix those brokenness. You got a chance to go back and have healing in places that is dark and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm done preaching now. The Lord took me somewhere else. I'm done with the text, but I, I got to go right here. We talked about in the class I dealt with choices and excuses. You, you can stop recording. I'm done preaching now. I'm, this is something else. So however you, how y'all want to take care of the sermon, but this is not going to line up. They're going to listen. What are you talking about? 